Welcome back to Single Minded. I am your host, Hannah First. And I'm your co-host, Linda. And I find this pretty amazing that we are recording. You are in Koh Samui, Thailand, and I am in Milan, Italy. In Milan. And here we are. <laughs> Couldn't be more opposite Italy and Thailand. Yes, you're an Asian nut and I like Europe. And let me just say one other thing. Yeah. My menopause is running like 1,000%. Oh. I've never been hotter. I've never been sweatier. It's it's 29 degrees. I think Europe had a 40-degree summer and we're coming off the end of that, so it's still 30. The air is thick and muggy and I'm a wreck. That's all I'm going to say. We're at a fitness <laughs> retreat in um, back at Lamai Fitness in Kosamui, and we actually did a hike this morning and we went into straight from the hike straight into an ice bath. I think you need Ooh. to get yourself an ice bath at Ooh. home. It's like oh. built into the ground, so it's like the full length of it's like so that you jump in and you and you're in like a I I don't know. I think that would be good for you. Oh, if I could have an ice bath here, I would be <sighs> very happy. So we were we said last time we were going to discuss something untold the girlfriend yes untold the girlfriend that didn't exist. So. For those that haven't seen, I I knew nothing about this series. It's a series that features a collection of sports docos and this Mm -hmm. one features a former Notre Dame football star, Manti Teo, and his hoax girlfriend story and just a little (sighs) tiny backstory where in 2012, it's his senior year, and he experiences two tragedies on the same day. First, his grandmother passed away and then a few hours later his long-term girlfriend passes away. And Of years. Of years. Yeah. And there's just... They, they'd been together... I don't know how many years, but there is just one thing. Teo's girlfriend, Lene, didn't exist. So for the previous few years... Teo had been catfished as part of an elaborate hoax that just got so way out of hand and I I could not believe it. What were your thoughts? (laughs) So I have seen that catfishing. I I sometimes go on YouTube and watch catfishing, the catfish, the show. I watch like their highlights. And I guess for me, if someone – won't video not only will they not video chat you but they don't want to come or they're making excuses not to come and see you I would just be like all right it's over and I actually have a little sound bite because as we were I was watching it with the Canadian and he just was like could (laughs) not believe it so what would you what would you say to the girl well after speaking with somebody over a computer (laughs) for many months not seeing her, no video, <laughs> send her a ticket, plane ticket, get on the plane or come here or you're out. <laughs> That's it, done deal. Yes, I agree with him because my takeaway from the whole thing, I understand it was very complicated because the fake girlfriend, Lene, actually is a trans woman named Naya now. Yes. So it's very, very complicated. Yeah. But my takeaway was that why had the very handsome, talented Teo not have met the girlfriend? All these excuses, and they were very elaborate. He was so gorgeous. Why didn't he find someone that he actually had a physical relationship with? I I just couldn't follow. (laughs) Uh, How stunning was he, by the way? Oh, I know. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) He 
definitely had like he definitely had full veneers put on. Yes, but that gorgeous beard. I'm quite enamoured with the beard. I I thought mum would be staring at his new teeth because he had beautiful new teeth in the interview. But the thing that got me was that, okay, so this is a bit of a spoiler, but hopefully everyone's watched it by now. It's been all over Netflix. So basically she so the girlfriend dies and then she comes back to life it gets so crazy and so mantite he basically says you have to send me a photo where you're doing this symbol you've got this written on a piece of paper and so the catfisher actually contacted the real lene who was called something different anyway it's getting so confusing and got her to actually set up that photo. So mm. so Manti gets this photo of Lene doing what he asked for. So can you imagine you would actually think you were going crazy? Like I would probably believe it if I got the photo back. You would, but why Why wouldn't you want You want a physical relationship a with time. someone, yeah. a bit of sexy time, especially when you're as, as you know, sexy as he was. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the thing I couldn't work out, why you have a long-distance relationship with someone you've never met for years. Never met. Yeah. And anyway, the excuses it was great. for not meeting. Anyway, mm. go and watch it. And that's a lesson to everyone to be uh, – as he, as he said, though, there wasn't – Catfishing wasn't like in pop culture back then when this happened to him, no. whereas people understand what catfishing is yes, now. Yes, you're right. What, 10 years ago? So, yes, he and he was very yeah. young. He was like a naive. So sweet. Yeah, very sweet, yeah. yes. And I think he said after that he was like happy that he got to tell his side of the story because he got blasted in the press for that. And made like, fun of all those memes. Poor oh, guy. Oh, and he was so lovely. Anyway. Hey, I've got one other funny story just before oh, I left. Oh, sure. So yes. I've mentioned before on the podcast that when I was 22, sorry, people, I slept with my boss who was 15 years old. And so in his late <laughs> who 30s. Came on, who, came, who, on. <laughs> who came on to who? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it was very mutual. Yeah. He was in his late yeah, yeah, 30s, yeah. so he was still young, really, when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, yes, it was mutual. We both happened to be at a nightclub when we ran into each other. So nowadays it would probably be against company policy, maybe seen as a little inappropriate, but it was the 80s. So I have run <laughs> into him a few times over the years because oh, Melbourne, Melbourne okay. is so freaking small. So just before we left to yeah. come away, we were at a dinner, which Sorry, was... Sorry, Melbourne's not small. Linda's Melbourne is small. <laughs> my, my... <laughs> I have Melbourne. Moved. Melbourne's actually Melbourne's quite big. But hey, yeah, Linda back. only goes. Linda, Linda only. Linda only sees a very small radius of Melbourne. Listen, I moved across the Yarra. It got a little bit bigger. So you're right, though. Yeah. So just before we left, we went to a dinner, and yeah. it was this incredibly beautifully set long table at a, at a restaurant. And of the 32 people attending, which is big dinner. Who should I be placed next to? Him. Oh no! So if you, yeah. if you, honestly, I was thinking, if you told me when I was twenty-two that I'd be sitting next to him when I was sixty-one, oh, and he was God. seventy, wow. seventy-six, oh. I would not have believed it. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Did he recognise you at least? Oh yes. He sort of. <laughs> we never, we never touch on the subject, but he'll say, "Oh, oh yeah, you know, you remember well in the office in, you know." Bleep. Um, so yeah. that's as far as we get. 
I, what I, I will to- say, I, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I said to him, how old are you now? Because I said, I'm 61. <laughs> he goes, Jesus. And he goes, I've just turned 76. Oh, my God, oh. you could have knocked me over. I mean, that sounds old now. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be sleeping with a 76-year-old. <laughs> the age difference didn't seem so bad back then. But uh, what I will say, yes, I'm I'm sure that it's frowned upon now. However, I when I do question boxes on my Instagram, the amount of people that send in stories about their bosses mm. and sleeping with their bosses or sleeping with, like, I think it's probably still a thing. It's just probably not spoken about on podcasts as much as, <laughs> as it is on this one. <laughs> All right, let's get into, I'm actually speaking to Erica from Fluff. So let's get into that interview. This is a business episode, but it's it's got a single-minded twist to it. So um, Linda will be back afterwards. So today I am joined by Erica Gerrards, who is the founder of the beauty company Fluff, but we're not really talking about beauty today, which is really exciting. We're more talking about Erica has a very interesting career path and life path, really. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I actually, someone, like I already followed you on Instagram and read your Medium stuff and someone suggested you as a guest and I was like oh my god why hadn't I ever thought of that before I know I love it and I'm stoked not to be talking about beauty too much yeah (laughs) it's a refreshing change in one of your medium posts I read you said I was involved in two businesses that grew quickly and warped my idea of reality when it came to status wealth success and values five years in I chose to leave a brand that just announced a hundred million dollar valuation and start again I too sometimes wonder if I'm crazy. So I would like to start by hearing all about your journey. You left that startup, Frank Body, and started your own business. So maybe we can just get a bit of um, a summary of what happened. I'm like, how long have you got? I mean, the answer as well to the question that I often ask myself is yes, I'm definitely crazy. But I think you have to be a little bit crazy to do things like starting a business or starting several businesses. But if I could summarize my journey from Frank to Fluff, I think really what happened was, you know, I was very young when we started that business. I was 23 and in the almost three years that I was there, I was learning so much about myself as a person, as a business owner, as a a co-founder. And I was really learning about different things like money, success, relationships. And at 23, to be involved in a company that grew so quickly with the advent of social media and to be experiencing all those changes without probably the emotional and mental capacity to deal with it or know what I was working through, it was a lot. But there was something in me that was like, this doesn't feel like where I want to be going. And especially, Mm -hmm. I sort of always think about my future state and I knew that it wasn't within that business. So I chose to leave and put everything that I had into this second business fluff because I had learned a lot in the beauty industry and felt like there was something else that I could do, particularly around more responsible messaging with branding Mm -hmm. and with this sort of younger generation audience. And that's led me to where I am now, four years in, still trying to do things differently, still trying to create a different stance in the beauty industry and products that we can stand behind. How did you feel like I saw that valuation when it happened? 
was there like a moment where you were like, oh, shit? (laughs) It was really interesting when Frank announced their sort of second investment in this $100 million valuation. I had a bunch of people message me and they were like, are you okay? Mm. And, I mean, it had been three or four years since I had left. And it's funny that so many people still talk to me about my Frank body experience because it feels like a lifetime ago. And Mm. I was super stoked for the other guys in Frank because I just think they worked so hard to get it to that point and I know what would have been involved. And I'm very much, once I sort of make a decision or a call, it's almost like I file away that Mm. life or the past. And it's like that was something that I worked on and I got it up to a certain point. And I was so grateful for that, but it was my choice to leave. And there are trade-offs. And so the trade-off in me leaving was that I wouldn't see that valuation, but I'm working on something else. And I think you have Mm. to look at that way. If I was going to beat myself up about that or or spend too much time thinking about it, probably would feel like shit. Well, I always think of it like I have said no to like multiple jobs where the salary was like way, way higher than what I was on at like the job that I was in. And I always think of it like I place so much value on my time that doing something that I hate or that I don't want to turn up to or that makes me depressed sucks all the joy of life out of me isn't worth the money. You've got one life, you've got finite number of days and hours. How much value do you place on your time? Totally. And is there a monetary value that you can like trade off? And like a lot of people do trade off Mm. time for money. Yeah. And I think it's a really valid question to ask yourself at points in your career is what is the trade-off here? Because everything has a trade-off. And am I willing to sacrifice potential happiness or integrity or other dynamics or relationships in order to get the other gain and if that's monetary or financial. And I really did think about that a lot when I was choosing to leave Frank. And it kind of comes down to regret. And I I asked myself that question, if Frank one day is valued at a certain amount, will I regret not staying? But I knew I wouldn't because I would be putting all of my energy into something else that I cared about Mm. and potentially building something of equal value. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same as you. I just can't apply myself to something if there isn't some sort of emotional connection. And some people can, and that's cool, but it was a really nice sort of awareness for me to gain in that that was not my path. I sometimes feel like when I'm in a job doing work on something that just I actually physically can't sit at my desk. It's like I have to really force myself. Like I find it incredibly difficult if I don't have passion for it totally at the end of Frank did you feel like there was like a like an emptiness what was kind of that feeling that precipitated it yeah I definitely lost a lot of passion I think I realized well when you're one of five co-founders you have to accept that it is not your business to run exactly how you want to run it and that's one of the biggest sort of advice that I give people is to really consider whether you have a co-founder or business partners or whether you want to run a ship on your own but the way that we were scaling the business really called for a certain direction in terms of our strategies and the dynamic of our business partners is what really probably didn't feel right. For me, we were just different. And because it wasn't our intention to start a business or to grow it as quickly as it did. So we were learning everything and even about our dynamics along the way. And that often happens. You can't predict how things are going to roll out, especially in business. So it was more just a conversation I had to have with 
myself as it was happening. And I think, mm. yeah, I need to be connected emotionally to my work. And I just was feeling that leave. So it was something that I just had to do. Mm. So watching you from the outside, the way like I see it is like you're really following your own path in life. It's like, like I hate using the word authentic life, but I really mm-hmm. get that vibe from you and like the content that you do with Fluff. I guess for some people starting businesses is more about money. But I guess the way that I see it, this is more about purpose and meaning for you running a business. I think in my medium posts, like when I write, that is the truest like version of me where I very much chose to just put everything on the table. And they, it took a while for me to be okay with being so vulnerable, I guess, but now it just flows through and I can't really be anything else. There's definitely probably a filter I apply to other aspects of my like public life, whether that's just Instagram or other. But yeah, I think where I'm really fortunate is to have had that experience at Frank in earning lots of money, having this sort of level of social status and progressing in business. I almost had what some people might experience in 10 years in three. And mm-hmm. it was, it was just like going so fast and so crazy. But then it, I really also quickly realized that that didn't make me happy. So now my motivations are quite different. Like I'm not chasing a bigger salary or I'm not chasing getting a better car or I'm not chasing, you know, being able to have a big wardrobe or go out to different restaurants or stuff. It's like all of that I sort of had in a really small amount of time. And then I really quickly Mm. realized that that was just external validation. And while I still love going to restaurants and still love buying things occasionally, it's I've really realized that's not what I'm most connected to. Mm. Well, I was going to say, particularly like in the business community, that I'm not in, but you are in that kind of like founder community. I have seen like posts that you've done about, and and even on Fluff, we've been really open about it where it's like, you've actually closed your online shop and like you've, you've done things completely sort of at odds with what the norm is. Mm. Can you kind of take us through the decision? You've, you've, you've spoken about it really openly and cash flow and all those sorts of things. Can you kind of talk me through a little bit about that journey of like, being really authentic in how you run business. Yeah, Fluff is in a fortunate position that we have a lot of support from our investor group and not probably the same restrictions that a lot of businesses or companies our size or bigger have. So I really recognise that not everyone can take the road that Fluff has taken, but because it's so sort of enmeshed with my personal life and my sort of promise and commitment to myself and my investors that we wouldn't do things the way that other brands have done it, particularly around messaging in the beauty industry. It's meant that we are having to think of different ways to do it and think outside of typical marketing campaigns and marketing timelines and product development strategies. And that at times has been really hard and really daunting and I haven't known what the answers are. And then other times there's been heaps of creativity and heaps of freedom in it. And It's meant that I've had to have hard conversations with investors sometimes because we've had to slow our revenue down or I guess change our forecasting and I haven't been able to provide them with metrics that they might have wanted. But I really Mm -hmm. believe that in this way we're building something that hopefully will be around for a lot longer and we definitely can kind of put our hand on our heart and be like this brand has integrity and this brand is being received so well by our audience and we'll we'll get there eventually in terms of either wholesaling or 
further product development, but it's just a much slower path. But everything feels so much more intentional, whereas mm. in previous brands that I've worked for or watching other businesses, everyone is just like racing and rushing and trying to keep up and they don't really even know mm. or think about what they're putting out there and the impact or influence that it has on the people who are buying their product. What are some of the values at Fluff and do they kind of overlap with your own values? Yeah, I think I'm so enmeshed personally with the business <laughs> and the brand, such a crossover, but it also makes writing for the brand really easy in a way. But look, we really value this sort of sense of awareness and understanding your environment and your influences. So one of the reasons we started Fluff was to provide an alternative message in the beauty industry, which usually tells you that your worth is attached to your external appearance and the amount of products mm -hmm. that you use or put on your face. And we wanted to sort of curb that and be like, look, makeup is great and it's fun, but it's not necessary. And it really doesn't say much about who you are. And so we wanted to sort of flip that dialogue. And I think the other part for us is just really being in conversation with our audience and seeing what they're doing and creating campaigns or messages that they're involved with or that they inform from the conversations that we have. And mental health has been like this huge thing that's come in for us and we have customers send us really like long DMs and emails about mm. how Fluff is a brand and the issues that we write about and even our approach to skincare or makeup and routines has changed their, I guess, idea or their preference towards, you know, the products or the, the brands that they buy from and then how much value they put in their routines or how they look. Well, it was, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff that I've seen with the bronzer is a lot of the people like applying it don't actually have foundation on, mm. which in itself is really different to what you would usually see in advertising. Yeah. I, when we first started, I was like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. Like we're a makeup brand trying to tell people to wear less makeup using social media to tell people to get off their phones. Like we all felt very backwards <laughs> and not in service of a really high valuation in a really short amount of time. But we knew that it was like a cause or an issue that we really cared about. And we just, again, wanted to provide an alternative to what all the other beauty brands were saying, which was just more, 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 you know, you are worth, it's completely tied to the products or the brands that you're associated with. Mm. And that still drives us. And when we think about the kind of campaigns we're doing for our next drop, for skincare it's like what is everyone else doing why are they doing that what does it even mean and like can we bring it back and make it a much more sort of personal intimate conversation between brand and customer that is just so much more real than what's currently being put out there which feels very filtered and fake in my opinion mm. I've been in beauty for quite a while now and I think it's a really fine line like I'm at a stage now where I like I really like I'm I'm engaged with the category, but I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I love doing it, but like there's no sense of control that it has over me. Yes. But I think there was like a long period where that wasn't right. Have you had similar experiences with the beauty industry? Definitely. And that was one of our first sort of campaign messages was I'm prettier now that I don't care. And we actually had to do mm. a lot of. I love that and, line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. people really picked it up, but we did have to explain it to a certain point because we weren't saying like 
don't care at all. Like it's so important to care about things. What we were trying and is still trying to get across is that it's assessing what you care about. And when you, you know, stop worrying about what other people think about how you look or about how many products you need to wear or that you need to have the latest skincare ingredient, it just takes this weight of responsibility off your shoulders. And it's so much nicer when you know that people are engaged with you as a person, not because of how you look, but more of who you are. And, you know, this sounds, it can sound a bit like soppy or I usually end up getting into like very long conversations with people about it. But we forget that beauties and beauty routines or skincare routines are, it is an idea that we have made up. There was a time where people didn't use any products. So mm. it's, I think when you have that awareness, you're kind of like, oh, I can choose how engaged I am with this or how much I interact with brands or products. And you spoke about kind of slowing down. I mean, I, I agree with that in, from a life perspective. Like I've totally, mm. my whole life has slowed down. And the only thing I'll say you know, like a life context and like a career context. I just like have completely put the brakes on. Like I just doesn't hold that kind of same sway over me. But the problem is I always start to feel when I see other people, like I do start to feel those like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I have to kind of like remind myself why I'm not doing that. Being in the beauty industry that moves so fast and there's so much competition, do you ever feel like it's hard to keep that sort of slow pace? Definitely. And I'm just trying to accept that in life forever long, like I'm probably not going to arrive at some point one day where I'm like, I've clocked it. I don't compare myself to anyone. Like I'm in such a good place and I'm not moving from mm. here. I think life is all about navigating that flux and the ups and downs and the moments of comparing yourself to your friends, to people on the internet, or even I struggle a lot comparing myself to my former self so my days at frank body and i really have to pull myself out of that and find sort of routines or strategies that make me focus on what i'm doing now and then really just asking myself those questions like what is important to me and is this on that path and that that helps but yeah i'm definitely not immune to having those sort of thoughts or existential crises about where i'm at Mm. Well, that's a good segue to my mm. next question. So you've written that you're not where your friends are, marriage, babies, houses, which I'm not either. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so I don't think about it a whole lot until sometimes like mm -hmm. maybe a question like this comes up. And so I'm 33. I think that, Same. yes, I think <laughs> I really have to acknowledge my family blueprint in that my mom had my sister and I when she was 38 and I know that that mm -hmm. influences my perspective on my biological clock and I see friends whose parents or their mum was pregnant when they were probably in their 20s or early 30s so I can see why we look at what came before us and our family history to think or guide us with our own choices. So it's really influenced me that I think I have a good five years or more. And mm -hmm. whilst I would love to have a family one day, I don't want to have a family right now. There's a mm -hmm. lot of things that I want to do before because I also have made a sort of big commitment to myself about the type of mother I want to be and the type of family I want to have and the time that I want to give to my children. So that helps me, I guess, if it's in terms of acceptance or just understanding my position. And everything's a trade-off. I talk to my friends who have kids. I talk to my friends who are single. There's 
pros and cons, you know, and we laugh about it, how my friend with two babies gets this unconditional love when they look at her face every day and then I get to sleep for eight hours a day. You know, (laughs) it's just like, and that's the smallest like trivial example of it, but everyone's got problems and then everyone's got incredible things about their life. So I think once you realise that, it's it's just makes you be like, yeah, this is my journey and where I'm at. We spoke just earlier how your life's really enmeshed with your business. Do you sort of consider yourself a workaholic? No, definitely not. Okay. In the past, yes. Like I love work and I would like to work until I'm very, very old so long as it stimulates me and interests me. And I want to work when I have family. It's really important to me because I just love creating. But there's been times where I have sacrificed or jeopardized other things in my life because of how much I worked. And I think, again, there's trade-offs that you have to understand. And this is just part of life, like experiencing the consequences of your actions or those trade-offs. And also accepting that there are times where you do need to double down on work if it's in pursuit of something positive and I guess it's just Mm. recognizing like are you working for the sake of working or are you working because it's towards something and if it's towards something good then there shouldn't be any regret or any sort of conflict Mm. I find for me the hardest thing is like I do sprint like small like the way I work is like sprinting and then taking a break and I think creative people like might understand that where I'll go really hard for three four months and then I just want to take a break yeah. What sort of work style are you? Are you like all year round or are you kind of like you get creative bursts and then that kind of wanes a bit? I think it's it's becoming more consistent or sort of stable. I was probably similar to you in the past and it also worked for me at that point. Whereas now I can kind of be working all the time. I've never been the sort of person that can go on holiday for four weeks and not open a laptop. Like I, mm-hmm. I need to, I want to, I feel compelled to write or put down ideas. And when I'm doing things I love, whether that's relaxing on a beach or being out with friends at restaurants, I have so many ideas. Like they just come to me and I'm always pulling out my phone and writing stuff down. So I know that work will kind of always be a part of my life in that way, but I have definitely Mm -hmm. in the last maybe two years, especially after COVID, appreciated how important rest and sort of taking care of myself and then giving time to my friends and my family and my relationships, how important that is. And so what sort of next for you in life and I guess with Fluff, like what, what are the plans? So I was, I actually was excited when you had that question because my answer is I, I don't know and I love that I don't know. And for years I felt like I had to have an answer and would put answers down to that question. Mm-hmm. It's a pressure for a lot of people that we have to be able to answer, this is what I'm working on, this is what I'm doing next year, this is when I'm going on holiday, these are my goals and you know, I have a, a sort of broad idea of where I want to be or where fluff is going. And that's, you know, we're working on new products. We're going to do a pop-up store. You know, we want to wholesale with a few different retailers. But outside of that, we're so open and it's really nice. And it's been a big personal, 
I think, lesson for me is letting go of control because usually I would want to know how everything's going to turn out and I want to fix things and be like, this is the path. So I've really been trying to lean into that uncertainty and just say, I don't know what could happen. I don't know where I'm going to be at this time next year or I don't know where fluff will be because it's also exciting because if we try and control it too much, then we literally are restricting the possibilities. Whereas in Mm -hmm. saying I don't know, it's just like anything can happen. So that's exciting for me. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you did mention you had investors. How did you sort of start that process of finding like they seem to be really like aligned with your values? Yeah, it's really tricky. I feel really lucky with the investors that I have. It doesn't mean that it's been easy the whole way. Like we had to get to a certain point where I think they understood oh, this is where she's going with it. And when we first started Fluff, we had sold them on a very specific idea and trajectory for the company. And then obviously so much has happened in the industry, COVID, and I think they are all just very, yeah, in a way like compassionate and realistic of where all these respective industries are at and that some businesses take longer than others to grow and you have your ones that will have incredible growth in two or three years. But there was a peak or a point in time especially after I left Frank where investment was just what everyone did. And now I think Mm. it's not so much the best strategy. And I would always say to people, you know, just because you can get an investor doesn't mean that you should. And to really try and think about what that will mean for your future in business and what you want Mm -hmm. and especially around like how you value decision-making and control. So that was a big learning lesson for me as well. And my final question, has your definition of success changed with with age and with all the experiences that you've had? Definitely. I think in my 20s and when I first started businesses, it was around financial success and traveling and living in a certain house. And it was all sort of external validation Mm -hmm. and it's become much more internal. It doesn't mean that I don't have financial goals or think that being financially stable is important, but it's really extended to this idea of like depth of connection to my work, depth in my relationships. There's this nice sort of theory that success is this sort of balance of your head, your heart, your wallet and your soul. And it's a little bit cliche, but I think it's really nice that if you can be mentally stimulated, emotionally stimulated, feel like there's a purpose to what you're doing and then be able to earn money doing that, like what more could you really want? And so that's Mm. kind of what I always check in with myself. Like, does my brain feel good about the work I'm doing? Does my heart feel good about it? Am I working towards some sort of greater cause? And can I afford to live my life the way I want to while I do that? So that's success for me. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. This is really different to any other interview that I've done. I don't really do much business stuff, but I just thought Mm. you run a really values-led business and I just thought it was like super interesting for people to hear that perspective. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a nice chat. So what did you think, Linda? Well, funnily enough, Erica and I used to work in the same building and that goes back way before Frank Body. I really Mm. hope she never saw me going through the bins on a Saturday to fix up everyone's (laughs) recycling. But I love that she has a sustainable beauty business 
because I am an environmental nut. And I do actually have to say I need to get on board with that recycling of all my what 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 how do you do that what where do you go oh, god linda you should know uh, terracycle i think it's called terracycle you can you can recycle your old beauty serums yes. and stuff like that but the good thing with fluff is it's it's um refillable so even the bronzer like the bronze is refillable i need to get on board with fluff because it really bothers me the way you finish a bottle of foundation and then what do you do with the bottle so well actually fluff doesn't fluff doesn't do foundation so how do you feel about giving up your foundation altogether no way i've got my <laughs> you know what i've got with me my glass bottle of estee lauder double, double wear because <laughs> you're bike riding do you wake up a bit early to do a full face of, of double wear before bike riding well we we are heading off to the bike ride shortly and i will be packing the uh, double wear yes <laughs> Linda has always been my role model for self-love, that's for sure. (laughs) Fifteen people, they can't be seeing me without my makeup. (laughs) What I will will say that's like in Melbourne, there's such a push for sustainability and no one does that more than my mother. Yes. But in Thailand, it's quite interesting – so basically like when you when you're at home and you get like a bananas and you put the you might either just leave the bananas out or or you might get a plastic bag for the whole thing of bananas. Well in Thailand in 7-Eleven where we buy our bananas <laughs> each banana is individually wrapped in a plastic no. bag. No. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, it's really it, it's it, but 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 even worse than that the supermarket that we were going to in Chiang Mai would have and to be fair they were wrapping it up in like a leaf but each carrot was individually wrapped and with a sticker oh dear you're a little bit behind (laughs) yeah there was a tiktok about how yeah like when you get your coffee in the morning i don't ask for this but they instead of having like a tray to put coffees in they put each coffee in a plastic bag like a carry plastic bag why so (laughs) because they don't do like carry there's no carry trays your coffee sits in like a little plastic bag can't you manage two coffees, one in each hand? <laughs> I don't get I don't I don't and actually speaking of coffee, so so does dad still get you coffee every morning? Oh he's a little bit off the boil, but I have I do have a my own cup. My cup is sitting at the front door in the hopes that it comes back full. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you leave it there for him. Yeah, yeah. I wash it and leave it at the front door and I think, well, if he's up before me and he walks past you, it's bright blue so he can't miss it and I think, oh, that'll remind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Canadian does get me coffee every morning but it's it, the effort's quite low because he only, he only has to take the lift down to the bottom of the condo, walk into the 7-Eleven at the bottom of the condo, order the coffees and then come back up the lift. So it's not... Not a huge amount of effort. Does 7-Eleven Thailand let you bring your own cup? We haven't got out. We should. You know, I'm just outing myself now, outing myself as not having used. Save the world one cup at a time. As you know, where we are, the apartments have those big wheelie bins for rubbish and cardboard. And I went down to put some rubbish out and saw that 
in the rubbish bin there was some cardboard poking out of rubbish bags. You know that freaks me out. Oh no! So I know you get I put heart palpitations from that. Heart palpitations. So I, I pulled the bags out, and then I started unfortunately going through the rubbish bags and sorting out other people's recycling because not only was there cardboard, there were glass bottles cans, oh, no. paper. <laughs> Suffice to say, I got completely lost doing what I promised everyone in the family that I would stop doing, which is saving the world. Do, that you'd stop doing. <laughs> saving the world one rubbish bag at a time. So <laughs> so that was my morning. And then I went out and I'm in the car and I can't find my new Prada Sunnies. I will say they're on sale at the Iconic for $238. Okay. So not not overly expensive, <laughs> but enough. Linda's a woman. Linda, you, do you know who you're sounding <laughs> more and more like? What? Meghan Markle. <laughs> oh, God. No, 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 never. You're, you're the princess of the people. <laughs> yes, I am the people's princess. <laughs> I, got, I grabbed my Prada sunnies. They were only 238 <laughs> Well, I, want, I just don't want people to think I've spent $500. Yep. They were 238 okay, So right, okay, I thought... Okay. Okay, I've left them at home. So then when I got home, I just retraced every step to no avail and I thought, Jesus, maybe I hung them on my jumper and maybe they've fallen off into one of the bins. So back to the bin room. I emptied the cardboard bin. They weren't in there. Then I started on the rubbish bin. So just to give you an idea, it's a 1,100-litre bin, so you actually need a ladder to get right in there. So I pulled out all the rubbish bags. I had to go through some of the bags Did I ripped open. On? I had gloves on. Oh, it's disgusting. So then I started yeah. going through the bags that, that I'd ripped open because I'd ripped them open to retrieve the recycling. They weren't there. There were some bags right at the bottom in all the, the muck. And I, I said to myself, well, I've come this far. I've got to get to the bottom. So I get to the very bottom of the bin. My sunnies are in the bottom of the bin. Oh, covered. my God. Covered in, uh, <laughs> covered in bin uh, juice. Bin but, <laughs> but, but, but safe and Yuck, sound. Dave, hun, hun, they've got to go in the bin. You're going to have no. to get another. Wait for, no. You're going to have to wait for the next iconic sale to pick yourself up another pair of designer sunnies. I know. They weren't scratched. But the moral of the story, people, is I have to get a grandma chain to hook my glasses on or I need to get psychological help for my <laughs> bin diving. <laughs> One <laughs> dumpster diving. Dumpster diving. What a lesson. All right. Okay. Well, it's been great to chat all this way. We're a million miles away. All right. Well, we'll see you guys. Although are we close? I'm closer to you, aren't I? Europe to Thailand closer. Linda, I think that's enough. I think that's enough <laughs> chat about <laughs> about Italy and Thailand. We'll see you guys in two weeks. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. 